Hey everybody and welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm your host Alex Klein and here we are at yet another Marvel movie and this time it is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings as the title of this episode suggests. So we are going to be diving into absolutely everything that I can about this movie uh, including many many spoilers. So if you have not seen this movie uh, pause this and come back. Unlike Disney's marketing, I do not want to give anything away to you. I trust that you guys are all very excited to see this film, and we'll check it out. Uh, and it is in theaters only, so check it out on the biggest screen that you can. I saw it in Dolby and IMAX. I personally prefer Dolby, but uh, if you want the short end of the review before you come back, uh, this movie was awesome. I loved it. So, uh, check it out. Come back if you have seen it already. Well, then welcome to the inner circle where we are going to be discussing everything. So let's dive in. Uh, the first piece that I wanted to talk about with this film uh, is the marketing of it. And I, I'm only calling it out because after Black Widow, I struggled to find my way when it comes to preparing for a movie. Back in the day, You'd get, you know, a trailer or two, and those things, I'd watch them over and over and over. And now I've had to limit myself with the amount of things that I watch and, and kind of practiced that a little bit with Black Widow. Uh, but it wasn't easy because they gave almost everything away in the original trailers. Uh, but with Shang-Chi, I only watched the first two trailers. I did not watch any clips. I did not watch the third trailer that ended up getting released either. And I think it paid off really well. There were still some pieces of the movie that I, I thought, oh, you know, I, I saw this in the trailer. But what was cool about it was they kind of turned a lot of things on its head. Now, Marvel is really well known for being uh, secretive and deceptive with their trailers. Certain things are included, certain things are not. I think everyone's biggest call for that is uh, the full Green Hulk in Infinity War who didn't even end up being on Wakanda at that time. This movie didn't exactly have that type of deception. More so, they edited things together in such a way that, at least for me, I was assuming things that I didn't need to be assuming. And I'll give you a couple of examples. One of the big ones is that bus fight. And we're going to be diving into all of this as we get in. But just for as an example, this bus fight, uh, in the trailers, I was actually kind of annoyed with uh, Aquafina, and, and that's another piece of this too. I would say Aquafina as a whole. The trailers made me really annoyed with her. I have a very hit-or-miss relationship with Aquafina. I think she is a phenomenal actor, but I feel like when she's trying to be funny, there are certain times where she isn't, and it's kind of cringy. There's other times where she's really funny, though. And um, I'm thinking, I can't think of specific examples in terms of her films, maybe like Crazy Risk Asians or um, maybe Rhea and the, the, what was it, Rhea and the Lost Dragon, which is funny because she plays a water dragon in that movie and there's a water dragon in this movie. But uh, what I really am referencing is the movie The Farewell. If any of you have seen it, I, we talked about it on an episode a long time ago, fantastic and phenomenal film. And she was uh, incredible in that movie uh, as a serious actor. And so when I saw all of this in the trailers, I was like, oh, okay, well, they're, they're just going with the classic Aquafina of let's just give her some funny lines, she's the comic relief. 
And when the I saw those scenes in the movie, they were completely different, and they read completely differently. So in the bus scene, there's that whole bit where she says, we make a great team. And I was like, okay, that's a really corny thing to say to Shang-Chi after you guys have you know done whatever it is you were doing on the bus. But then in the movie, she's actually saying that to the uh, the garbage man next to her, and that actually played off much better. And I was like, oh, this is great. So in that respect, I guess you could say the trailers did a good job of kind of deceiving me at least. But after the film, I came home and I watched as many of the clips as I could handle on Marvel's YouTube page, and I say handle because, again, you know, what, Alex, you're a, you're a super fan, what do you mean? Well, guys, if I haven't made it apparent yet, Disney's marketing strategy has been absolutely horrible. If you go on their YouTube page, Marvel's YouTube page, they have a new clip every single day, and some days they have multiple clips of different pieces of the movie, and so as I'm watching these clips, I was horrified. I was like, oh my God, they they gave away so much just in the clips. These stupid 30 second clips that are being, you know, shared where on Facebook? Is there somebody on Facebook who's struggling with why they need to go see this movie because they didn't get it from the two? Look, if you if you watch both of the trailers and you say, you know what, this movie doesn't look like a movie for me, that's fine. You know what, maybe it isn't a movie for you. But if you need to see three trailers and 50 clips and behind-the-scenes footage in order to think that you want to see this movie, you probably don't want to see this movie. Like, you should just wait until it comes on Disney Plus and check it out then. And I'm not pointing any fingers on that. I'm just saying that they, they're marketing to what feels like the lowest common denominator. And if any of you out there are watching those clips, all I'd say is, hey, you know, you're, you're putting yourselves in those situations where uh, maybe you don't enjoy the film as much as you would have going in completely completely blind. So again, my recommendation always watch a trailer or two, maybe even just one, or if you really want to be, uh, you know, as hard as possible, don't watch any of the trailers cuz let's be honest, we're gonna go see these movies. And there's a lot of things even in the original trailers that I would have been more surprised at had I not seen them. But with that out of the way, uh, I I'm probably going to touch on that with every Marvel movie cuz I really want to document that uh, so that in the future if something like that happens, where either they fix it and they have better marketing or it just gets worse and worse and worse. We can point to it here. Comics and Cinema can say they were calling it out. And uh, and then we can, you know, attack them in whatever way whatever way is, is necessary, whether I need to get five of the ten rings, ten of the ten rings, whatever it is to take down Disney's marketing, uh, I'm sure I can figure it out. With that said, let's move into some of the aspects of the movie. So what I'm going to talk about first briefly is the music of the film along with afterwards the the cast and crew and then we're going to dive into the full movie so i want to highlight the music because it was incredible and there was something about it as i was watching it was like wow this is you know the beats are on fire the lyrics are great the song choice is just perfect and then the score as well was fantastic and so uh, today, you know, the new albums came out today, and both albums are available now. I use Apple Music, so there's a Shang-Chi uh, soundtrack, and then there's also a Shang-Chi score, but what's interesting is the the soundtrack is just like Black Panther's soundtrack, if you all remember that uh, really cool cover where it was just his necklace. 
exact same. It's just the 10 rings. But all of the songs on the soundtrack are original songs made for this movie. Now, who knows? Maybe that some of them were things that people created and then decided to put for the movie. But the way that I saw it, I was looking them up. I mean, there's a... Um, there's an Anderson Pock song on there, and it's a brand new Anderson Pock song. There's a 21 Savage song. Uh, there's Sway Sway Lee is on there. Sweetie's on there, uh, and then also a bunch of Asian performers as well, which was just so good to see. Unfortunately, there wasn't any K-pop, much to my uh, disappointment. But the music itself was just so good. So I, I listened to the entire soundtrack on the way to the movies the second time, and it really added to the film because when I listened to them again during the movie, I was just oh, just kind of bumping in my seat Uh, but again not just that the score itself was really good there was a lot of spots with just gorgeous crescendos right as you know certain big moments are happening and so shout out there to i think his name was uh, bill pope uh, or bill pope is the no bill pope cinematography it's joel west does the music for this and so we're going to dive into the cast and crew now so joel west is uh the music which is funny because destin daniel cretton is the director for this, also helped with writing it, and Joel West did all of the scores for Destin's movies, for those of you that don't know. I had looked at his IMDb. They are probably BFFs, which is really cool. So there's that piece of it, but then also writing credits for Dave Callahan and Andrew Lanham, also screen story by David Callahan and Destin Daniel Cretton, and then based on, obviously based on the uh, Marvel comics by Steve Englehart and Jim Starlin. For those of you that don't know that, Jim Starlin created Thanos, but Jim Starlin also created uh, Shang-Chi, which is awesome. Really cool. Uh, Along with that, we have... Uh, before we get into the stars, uh, I want to talk about cinematography by Bill Pope. Same thing. I think he helped. Uh, actually, no. Bill Pope did not assist Destin in other areas, but Bill Pope is known for uh, The Matrix, The Jungle Book, Spider-Man 2, Baby Driver, uh, Alita, Alita Battle Angel. So just some awesome movies. He really knows how to capture fights. So congratulations to him. And then I also wanted to call out Sue Chan, who does uh, production design for this movie. Uh, the the costumes, the production, everything about it was phenomenal. And I bet you there's... Oh, costume design was by Kim Barrett as well. I'm going to see what she's known for. But Sue Chan is actually going to be doing the production design for Where the Crawdads Sing. So if any of you have read that book out there, uh, I just finished it a couple of weeks ago and it was phenomenal. I can't wait to see how the movie does. But just cool to see those connections there. Kim Barrett, oh, nice. She was costume designer for The Matrix as well. Uh, she also was costume designer for Aquaman, Cloud Atlas. So she's a, she's at friends with the Wachowskis, I bet. Uh, but so those are those are kind of the people associated with it. Let's dive into the cast. Obviously, we got our headliner, Simu Liu, played uh, playing Sean slash Shang-Chi. Uh, you got Tony uh, Lung playing Wen Wu. Aquafina as Katie, uh, Menger Zhan as Jai Ling, Fala Chen as Ying Li, Michelle Yeoh as Ying Nan, and uh, there's a couple of other people we'll call out. Uh, Sai Chin is in this as Waipo, uh, Katie's grandma, and she was also in Wendy Wu Homecoming Warrior and uh, Memoirs of a Geisha, so I was really happy to see her in this film. Uh, For some reason, before the movie came out, I was like, I wonder if they'd put her in here, just because, you know me, I love Wendy Wu Homecoming Warrior, and I figured, you know, she was a big part of that movie. I bet you someone would have been like, hey, you know, 
Shang-Chi is a li- kind of like Wendy Wu in a sense, so let's get her on. You know, it would have been really cool, though, to see Brenda Song in this movie, but we can't have everything. So in regards to the cast, let's start with Simu. Amazing. Incredible. He does such a good job, and uh, I, many of you probably know him from Kim's Convenience uh, and he's been, he was in Taken, actually. I'm looking here. I think this was, oh, the show Taken. He's been in some other TV shows as well, but I'm really hoping that this is his breakout in that sense, that he uh, kind of turns into a big name so that he can uh, get more jobs because he's great. He's got such a charisma about him and his lines, he's really funny, but he's also really sweet. And there's a really great spot, and I'm gonna I'm gonna call things out as I see them. We're gonna, again we're gonna talk about the story of the film, but as I think about certain bits of the film, I'm gonna call them out because I probably won't remember them as as I'm going through the story. But during that specific bus fight, there's a bit where you know he's fighting and punching people, and he ends up landing in a seat next to the girl who was like writing her dissertation on her laptop and he gives her her, her this like shy little like wave with his hand and i just loved the way that he did that cuz it's like he's he's kicking ass on this bus and knocking these people off yet once he sees her it's just the quietest little like hey and then uh you know goes back to business it's just everything that he did was so good in this there was a bit where when he's kind of telling the truth to Katie towards the end where uh, the the tears are like slowly coming to his eyes and you can see it off the glisten in his eyes as he's saying you know uh uh what is it a blood debt is repaid with blood and he says like i'm going to kill my father and uh, just just awesome. I'm really glad they chose him. And for those of you that don't know, I I would be shocked if you didn't, but you know, he's got quite the journey where he was doing shows and performances as like Spider-Man for kids' birthday parties. And uh, I think he'd even mentioned that he, he would be characters that wore masks because at that time he and other people as well thought, you know, oh, this Asian guy can't be a superhero. And it's just so cool to see the evolution coming from that. And it's funny, if you guys listen to, uh, well, I guess if you listen to the last episode, the MCU Celebration episode that uh, we all did here, uh, we talked a little bit about female representation in the Marvel movies and how it's trending in the right direction, but obviously they still have some work to do. And this movie itself is a testament to how great diversity is within film, but also how great it is within the MCU. I saw a tweet right before I got on that was saying, you know, oh, we've got monsters and space aliens and gods and all this stuff. Like, this is how you prevent uh, superhero fatigue, is through this diversity. And so in this film, you're getting all these crazy characters and creatures. You're getting all this Chinese lore. And uh, just so cool to see him... um, kind of becoming that and owning that in a sense he's a character that's no longer he's not wearing a mask he is who he is and i in my opening night showing uh the theater was full and there were cheers i loved seeing that i was praying that there would be cheers because there weren't any in black widow we got cheers at the bus scene we got cheers i think when we first saw their costumes obviously we got cheers at the end and there were some cheers when Trevor showed up, but just so cool that, you know, and even back then going back to Simu, you know, he, he tweeted, uh, or they said something about, you know, Shang-Chi. I don't remember exactly what the situation was, but he tweeted at Marvel 
and said like, hey, I'm available, like, let's do this. And then he got cast. And so just such a cool uh, rags to riches story, I would say in his regard too. And, and, you know, I've been following him on Twitter ever since. And he's just such a good guy from what I've seen on Twitter. He seems very humble and very kind. And I love that. I just couldn't have been a better person playing Shang-Chi. So with that, we're moving down the line. Actually, we're going to just jump over to his sister. I I can't hold off anymore. Jialing, played again by Menger Zhang, who uh, is new. She hasn't been in anything else. And uh, she was, yeah, literally nothing. This is her first movie. I am hooked. Uh, you know, I- I've told you guys stories of my my Hollywood crushes: Natalie Portman, Jennifer Garner, Emma Watson. Uh, J- uh, Menger Zhang is on my list now. She's here, and specifically Zhai Ling. She plays the fiercest character that I have seen in a long time, and it's funny because. I almost feel like, in a way, uh, this movie falls into the same interesting conundrum that Black Panther did, where there were a lot of parts in Black Panther where I was wanting to see more of Shuri than I was of T'Challa. And that happened, especially on the second viewing in this movie. I just kept going like, man, I really wish we could see more of Zhai Ling uh, than Shang-Chi. But I'm, I'm sitting there going like, well, what are you saying? Like, Shang-Chi's awesome. And, and yes, he totally is. But his sister is awesome too. And the just her whole intro of uh, when they're fighting is amazing. And just the confidence she exudes in all of her scenes. She's intimidating. She's powerful. And she's no nonsense. And I loved that. She built herself up from the ground up because of her father. And we're going to dive into that. I actually, I'm going to jot that down so we don't forget. Actually, we'll talk about that right now, too. Um, since we're finishing up with Jailin, we'll move on to her, their dad. But uh, just give her more, please. I want to see her in more things. I want I want a Jailin movie, especially after those post credit scenes. Uh, whatever you can give me, I'll take when, you know, she, she puts on that silver costume and she gets her new, um, throwing thing. It just, there was not a scene where every scene she was in, I was hanging on to every single thing that she did. There's just, her presence is so powerful. And with that, let's move over to Wen Wu. So Tony Lung from, uh, those of you who know, uh, I was going to do an episode on this a long time ago, but he's from a, a Wong Kar Wai movie called In the Mood for Love. That uh, really good movie. It's a Criterion film. He's obviously been in so many more films than that. He's a he's a, a hit, I guess you could say. I mean, his biggest things that he was in was that. Uh, he was in Infernal Affairs as well. Uh, and then he also was in The Grandmaster as Ip Man. Uh, in 2013, that's kind of crazy. And he was in 2046, which is another uh, Wong Kar Wai movie. So he's just he's a uh, a Chinese superstar or a Hong Kong superstar, I believe they would say. Uh, most of his stuff was in Hong Kong, but he's he's perfect in the role as uh, Wen Wu as the evil father. And what I was gonna say is, you know, on this second viewing as I was watching, I kept thinking to myself like, man, Marvel really likes dealing with dads. You got, uh, and, and and Marvel really likes evil dads. You've got uh, Chris Pratt, or Star-Lord's father, Iron Man's father, uh, uh, Steve Rogers' father. You don't see him in the movies, but in the comics, he's, he's very abusive. Uh, Thor's father, Odin. You've got 
uh, there's, I feel like there's more fathers, but you know, the whole Spider-Man with his sur- surrogate fathers with Tony Stark and Dr. Strange. And now you've got Wen Wu as another father. And I guess you could say T'Challa's father as well, but he was a good guy. Uh, so where does Wen Wu stack up in the list of fathers? I would argue that he's at the top. He is by far the most intricate of the fathers in the MCU, but not only that, he is uh what's the word he's just he's driven and he has purpose and it's something very different from the other dads i mean a lot of them were uncaring because they had better things to do whereas the tragedy with wen wu is that he uh he just he loved his family and that's i think was the saddest piece of this and it's funny because this came on the heels, literally in the same week as the what the new What If episode of What If Doctor Strange um, lost his heart instead of his hands, and in that, if you haven't seen it, we won't. I well, I guess you know there's spoilers for that. So if you if you don't want to hear this, skip ahead a couple of minutes. But in that film, a certain person dies. Christine dies. Christine Palmer. And that's kind of what turns him into Doctor Strange. That's the difference. But what happens is he becomes a great sorcerer and he uses the time stone to continuously go back in time to try and save her. And every time he goes back, it he fails. And it's not even him. They, they explain that it's like it's a nexus point basically that she has to die. But he just keeps going back and back and back. And then eventually he starts diving into the dark arts to learn how to bring her back from wherever it is that she is. And that's the exact same thing that happens with Wen Wu in this movie. He loses his wife. And once he loses her, he falls into a very dark path. And he just becomes a really bad person. I mean, he kind of was a bad person already. But it was just really sad to see. And that's what I think is really interesting. I've been hearing a lot of people discussing, you know, how where does where does he stack up among the MCU villains? I would say he's not one of the best MCU villains, only because I don't see him as the same sort of villain as the other villains in the MCU. I mean, when you think about Killmonger, and in terms of, you know, the best villains, you think about Killmonger, you think about the Winter Soldier, you think about um, Thanos, obviously, you think about Loki, none of them are the same as Wen Wu. Wen Wu is, I mean, he's probably as old as Loki, maybe a little older, but he, all he did, he, I guess in a sense, he's closer to Loki than any of the other ones, right? He, he desired power. And, uh, man, we're about to start just diving into this. So let me, let me touch on all of these other characters and then we're going to dive into Wen Wu since he starts off this movie for us. But, uh, Aquafina playing Katie, I thought was fantastic. Like I said, I was not looking forward to her at all. And my opinion completely changed. I think her and Shang-Chi are perfect together. Uh, obviously they're a little off paired where I was like, really like, I I don't see them together, but as the movie went on, I was like, oh, they're perfect for each other. Like they're, they're just so they're, those are the couples that you root for a lot of the times, right? Where they're best friends. And I thought that was great. And I thought that it really showed a restraint from Marvel too, to not just turn her into the love interest. She actually ends up being a crucial piece to this film in more ways than one. And uh, again, wasn't expecting that, so that was really nice. Uh, Fala Chen as Lee, she as uh, as their mother. Uh, I thought she was great in the scenes that she had, especially the beginning scene. But she isn't in it that much. Uh, Michelle Yeoh, same thing. She's transcendent whenever she's on screen. I mean, she's just amazing. 
but she also doesn't get a lot of screen time either. And and the, the scenes that she has, she is perfect for them. Uh, the other ones were I want to talk about was Florian Montanu, who plays Razor Fist, who's kind of like uh, Wen Wu's right-hand man uh, in a sense. I guess he's sort of like Wei, but there's also the Death Dealer, who is also his uh, right-hand man. And Death Dealer is played by Andy Lee, who this is one of his very first movies as well. It looks like he did some stunt stuff. Uh, I guess he's probably wasn't meant to be someone who's going to ever take his mask off. But Razor Fist and Death Dealer were really interesting. I didn't, I wasn't huge fans of them. Like I wasn't like, oh my god, I want a Razor Fist movie. But whenever they were on, it was entertaining for them to be good challenges for Shang, and uh, I appreciated them for that. But there's obviously zero depth to both of them, so they were just kind of like the... I always think of Taserface when I see Razor Fist, but that's basically the same thing, right? They're kind of like throwaway villains. Uh, the characters who played the young versions of Shang-Chi and Jai Lin, uh, Jaden Zhang, Elodie Fong, Arnold Sun, and uh, I think those are the only three that did it. They were all fine. I thought all the kids did great. Uh, Ronnie Chang is in this movie as well as John John, and he has one of my favorite lines in the movie where he says, yeah, I speak ABC. Uh, I love that, and uh, I thought he was great. And then there was also a bit too, I mean, we get some other characters, and we won't talk about them until we get to them. There's some surprise characters as well. I'll talk about them when we get there. Oh, but I'll also call out one of the people in this, or creatures, I guess, Morris... Uh, the cutest little creature in the movie was voiced by D. Bradley Baker. And you may be saying, well, who's D. Bradley Baker? That name sounds familiar, but I, I, I can't place it. D. Bradley Baker is kind of uh, a legend. He's a legend in the voice acting world. Uh, of course, my IMDb would just continuously be loading. From what I remember, he's he's in Clone Wars, the Star Wars Clone Wars show. He plays all of the clones. So he's the person that plays like the voice of uh, technically of like Boba Fett, Jango Fett. He, man, it's crazy that this is not loading, but uh, beyond that, he's he's been in like 300 voice credit things. All right, and finally, it loaded. Uh, some of those things are, he was Sebastian the Rat in Suicide Squad. He, I think, was in some SpongeBob stuff. He was, uh, he's Perry the Platypus in Phineas and Ferb. He's Daffy Duck in a lot of the uh, Looney Tunes stuff, including Space Jam. He's also characters in like American Dad. I mean, probably you name it, he's been in it. So I thought that was pretty cool that he was in this film as well or that he got a little bit of time to shine. So with that said, let's dive. And I guess, you know, with all of that withstanding, this is an all-star cast. That's basically what I'm trying to get at is this cast is phenomenal. There wasn't a single person that I thought did a bad job. I was pleased with every single one, especially those cameos that you wouldn't, you know, you would go, oh, they're probably cringy or corny. No, no, no. They were awesome. So uh, Wen Wu, uh, back to kind of the conversation around what it means for him to be a villain. So, uh, and it's an interesting piece of this film as well, something that I think uh, we'll be talking about for a while is... The movie is called Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, but we never find out what the Legend of the Ten Rings is, which is funny because that's the name of the movie. So and in terms of uh, deceptions by Marvel, they did a really good job. They never actually explained. The movie opens up a thousand years ago, and Wen Wu has the rings already, and there's a voiceover talking about uh, the voiceover, funny enough, being uh, uh, Ying Li, uh, his future wife. But she's basically saying that, you know, no one ever really knew where the rings came from. They said 
rumors had it, legends, the legend of the rings was that he found them in a crater or that he found them in an ancient tomb, but no one really knows. And that is all we find out in this movie about what, what is up with these rings. Uh, so I'll tell you a little bit of the legend of the Ten Rings, which is that these rings are super powerful. They can basically do not necessarily anything, but they make you an incredible fighter and they allow you to live forever as long as you're wearing them, which is a really cool concept, I thought. And we get a little bit more a taste of, of where maybe they come from by the end of this film. But uh, again, when Wu's a thousand years old, he's been wearing these rings and he's using them to conquer uh, a lot of Asia, I would assume, definitely China, because that's where this movie is sort of set. But he conquers all of these places and eventually, after a thousand years, he's conquered the, the, the world, basically. He's gotten what he's wanted, and now he wants the power of the gods. And it, it's so interesting, and I guess I, I would love to hear people's thoughts on this, because to me, like I said, I, I just see him as, he's, he, obviously he's a villain to his family as a father, and we've seen him do terrible things too, but I just, I think at this point in the film, He's transcended that piece of it. Is all the, the only way that I can look at it is like, okay, where do you go when you're a villain when you've conquered everything on Earth? Like you're you're beyond that sort of thing. And I guess in that sense, that makes him more like Loki in in that regard of uh, you know an ant or uh, an ant has no quarrel with a boot. In this case, the boot being uh, Wen Wu, and he. Uh, kind of says that when he goes he goes to find the mysterious city of Talo where he meets his wife at the time and fights her but he's going there because he wants to learn fighting techniques from the gods he's not trying to conquer the place and that's what I found was interesting was like okay so he's what is his end game what is it that he wants he has the rings he can live forever and obviously he wasn't looking for love but he i guess was in the mood for love eh uh, eh anyone and and he finds it here with uh with uh, lee and they have this beautiful fight so romantic so sweet i loved it not only was the fight badass but you just get these slow-mo spots where the you know it, it slows and they're looking at each other and the looks they're giving like oh tony lung knows how to fall in love that's all i'll say and it was just cool to see and so that's where i was like okay i don't see him as that type of villain and and again i think he's a bad guy but when you're asking where does he stack up in the mcu villains i wouldn't put him at the top of the list i wouldn't even put him close to the top of the list because i see him less as a villain and more as a father and this whole thing kind of solidifies this for me because he falls in love with her and and another i guess not a nitpick i would say but destin has a really interesting way of telling this story there's a lot of flashbacks and they happen at really interesting times where they they teeter on taking you out of the film and i think the biggest one that i can think of was during the fight between shang chi and his sister Ling, uh in the octagon she's about to beat him and then she like closes her eyes and we get a flashback of back when they were kids and I was like, wait, no, I want to see the fight. And so it wasn't a big deal, but I just, I'm going to tell this story in chronological order. So we are now in 1996, and uh, he's fallen in love, and they have two children. They have Shang-Chi, they have Xiling, and I think uh, Shang-Chi is probably born, they're saying maybe around like, it would have to have been like mid-1997 or 1998. 
in terms of those keeping track on the timeline. Zhai Ling would have been maybe a year or two after that. But he's given up everything. That's the beauty of this, is she also has given up everything. She leaves Talo, uh, leaves her power, leaves all of her people, and he gives up his 10 rings. He puts them in a box and puts them away, and they are a normal family. And I, I loved this. There was a bit where they're playing uh, Dance Dance Revolution or whatever they're playing. They're playing a video game all together. And when Wu puts his arm up to block Lee, Lee, Lee's vision, and they're all laughing and having fun. And it is such a beautiful and sad scene because you just see this man who's he's cured in a sense, right? Like he he all he is is happy right now. He has the family that he wants, he has the life that he wants, and he's finally satisfied. And we get to the spot where his past catches up to him. And while he's gone, this group of uh, thugs show up and demand uh blood basically they say you know he brew he ruined our business there you owe us a debt and all that's there is uh is ying li and her two kids and she says please just let my children go and they say fine but like we still need something like we we are owed our pound of flesh and so she sacrifices herself and this scene as sad as it was was still a really powerful scene and it reminded me a lot of, uh, I'm trying to think of which Bruce Lee movie. I would probably say all of them. Uh, definitely like the big boss. There's I got some Enter the Dragon vibes as well in this movie, especially with the compound. But just this idea of a giant group of people going to fight one person. And the people just keep coming and showing up. And you're like, the more you see them, you're like, you know there's no chance. And I just, it's so sad to see when Wu shows up later once they've left and she's dead. And that's the moment that he kind of cracks in a sense. And and all credit to Tony Lung, he does such a good job of conveying loss and conveying sadness while not overacting and overplaying his hand. So when you think about it in that sense, with using Loki as an example, you know, when he's saying, where did I come from? Tell me! And, you know, he's always screaming and yelling. I, I don't think when Wu raises his voice but once when uh, towards the very end of the movie. So again, he doesn't have a, a menacing quality to him. It's just his presence that is menacing because you know how old he is. You know how powerful he is. And all of that is scary. It's not the way that he talks. Most of the time, he's smiling. And that's what I think is so interesting about him as a character. And I want to call this out too. Now, the thought just popped into my head before I forget. I loved the fact that I think I think there was more Chinese spoken in this film than English. And as I was watching it, I noticed it immediately on the first showing. I was like, it's been like 15 minutes and we just now heard English. I thought that was the coolest thing ever for a Marvel movie to be mostly in another language is insane. I think that's awesome. And uh, so getting back to the story, once the mother mother dies, father has the uh, the son train. Shang-Chi is now under his tutelage, and they said that this happened when he was about seven years old, trained him to become an assassin. Really, really sad and heartbreaking. He's punching, you know, these giant poles. Uh, his knuckles are bleeding, and this is where we see Death Dealer. Death Dealer is really dealing death to him and, and whacking him with poles, slicing him with little uh, kunai blades, and all of this just had so many... I mean, the whole movie itself had so much anime vibes to it. 
uh, in the best way. And so all of these fights were great. Uh, slowly, he's building up his power. Uh, then we see him a little older at 14, and he's great. He's beating all of his men. And at this point, uh, his father said he gives him a kunai blade and says, hey, uh, he tells him to go kill the person that killed his mother. He says that you, it is your right to kill him for the both of us. And what's interesting during all of these scenes and stories is that Jai Ling is in the background. His father doesn't even really think about her. Uh, she is not allowed to train. And so in the coolest way that I think I've seen, there's so many cool bits in this movie that was like, oh, that I haven't seen that before. I just loved when uh, Shang is, is training and Jai Ling is like watching from the, the house and she starts training herself in the house. And so you kind of see that progression and the seeds planted that she's becoming a force of nature because she's internalizing this. And so this goes back to my the, the father conversation that I was having of like, okay, so if, you know they, they hate each other at this point um, in the in the present day because you know they abandoned each other, blah 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 blah. But when you look at Jai Ling and Shang Chi, they are amazing fighters. And, the, you know, look at the world that Jailing has built for herself, this giant fight club, all of this stuff. But it is all because of how terrible of a father that Wen Wu was. And you look at that and you wonder, like, is that the secret to success? And, and not in a, uh, I guess, success being a, a, not the right word, I would say. But when you think of all these stories, when you look at Tony Stark, you look at Thor, you look at uh, Star-Lord. All of them have these interactions with terrible fathers. And because of the neglect, because of the abuse, because of whatever that is, they become who they are. They become these superheroes. So I, I wonder if Marvel is going to get to a point where they stop telling these types of stories. Uh, certainly didn't feel old in this movie, but I was thinking, like, you can't keep doing this. You can't keep having stories where a parent is abusive or neglectful towards their children and because of that they become a superhero i don't think that's a good message to send <clears throat> regardless because anyone who watches that no one's going to be saying oh if i start treating my kids bad they're going to turn into superheroes but just this idea that you know you see it a lot with like actors or other famous people they talk about the the struggles that they faced in their life and there's just this this thought that always crosses my mind of like okay so in order to become famous, in order to become a superhero, you have to have terrible tragedy in your life. And again, I don't know if that's right or wrong. I, this is I, I'm just talking, but I think that's an interesting thing that Marvel's going to have to grapple with as they introduce more and more new and diverse characters into this into this world. Uh, is every character going to have some abusive parent that you know? Oh, because of this or that, now they're they're the greatest superhero of all time. Like, come on, what does that what does that tell little kids when they're watching this? Like, you can be a superhero too, just as long as your parents don't care about you. And uh, again, just a little bit of a tangent because here, Wen Wu does care about his kids, or at least cares about Shang Chi, uh, and you see that throughout the film. He's very proud of him in certain instances, but he's also very disappointed with him in other instances. Uh, just powerful, powerful relationship. I'll, I will say that regardless of how many times they've done it, Marvel knows how to deal with parents. And uh, hopefully we start seeing actual superheroes become parents and have to deal with that themselves. And maybe we can see that uh, 
kind of ending of that inherited trauma that they're getting from their the legacy that their parents are passing down to them so that someone like you know iron man's daughter or in the future you know what if shang chi ever has a kid that sort of thing that they're passing good values down onto them with love but then also training them to become the greatest superhero of all time to prove that it, it's not just that it's not just that that trauma and abuse that makes you into that you're you are more than the trauma and abuse and i just i hope that message gets through i think they did a good job of it in this movie too because there really is a piece of of shang chi reclaiming who he is and they talk about that both the good and the bad uh, I just thought that was a fantastic conversation, and I wanted to, to talk on that. So, wow, we've still got a lot to go. Uh, from there, again, you know, he says, he has a really good line, too, that he tells Shung. He says, uh, you must be strong enough to carry these rings. And that's when we start seeing him really train harder. But it was like, what? What kind of manipulation that is? Like, that's just so crazy. And uh, so that's basically what happens in the past throughout all of it. Uh, throughout all of the film and then we get to present day which as far as i'm seeing and the math adding up this happens after endgame obviously does this happen before spider-man far from home i think so but i don't know for sure there's just a couple of bits about it but we're, we're in the present day there's a couple of talks about the blip and uh kind of some people coming back that sort of stuff there's a couple posters there's a poster on one spot i don't remember where it was i only i only saw it on my first viewing funny enough but it was called blip sync it was uh some posters on the wall it almost looked like a sort of america's got talent but it's called blip sync and i was like oh that's really interesting but we see sean at this point friends with katie sean and katie they're bffs and they work as valet drivers at some sort of ritzy hotel and we learn that they are also struggling with this issue of um what's the word i guess the word is purpose and we've kind of talked about that a little bit too with when Wu's purpose and this it's just a really interesting scene so you know we we, we establish that they're friends they've been friends for 10 years so basically once uh, Shang Chi arrived in America after he he basically fled when he was going to kill the uh, the guy who killed his mother. Uh, he stayed in America and and you know lived his life out there. But they have a dinner with two friends, or they have like drinks with two friends, and they're talking about uh, kind of just some of the stuff they're doing, the fun they're having. You know, oh, this is our life. We go out, we party, all this sort of stuff. And her, <clears throat> her friend is saying, you know, don't you ever feel like we're gonna, you know, you should grow up, basically, like, you know, I, I put my childish things aside, have you ever felt like you just should, you know, grow up, basically, and do something serious with your life, and it's such an interesting thing, and I know, I know that's something that a lot of uh, people in Asian cultures struggle with, and you see that in so many different shows, whether that's, uh, it shows obviously in real life, but you know, you see that in shows like Never Have I Ever, you're probably going to see that in Miss Marvel for sure. You're seeing that here. You see that in Kim's Convenience. There's just that it's it's a uh, I certainly don't know uh, personally Asian culture because I'm not a part of it. But from what I've learned and what I've read, there are a lot of people that struggle with that with with overbearing parents who they just want the best for their kids. And there's an interesting piece of that in terms of they want the best for their kids, but they also don't really want their kids to stick out. 
They they went through such a trauma when they were younger about sticking out. When you look at certain uh, Asian cultures like Japanese Americans who struggled during internment camps and Chinese Americans, you name it, whatever type of Asian culture it is, there's a lot of persecution that they have to deal with from all areas of America just for being different, for being other, for... You know, I mean, anyone will create something to kind of that have that xenophobia and fear towards other people from other countries. And uh, the Asian culture, though, has often been referred to as the model minority because they are told or they they perpetuate this idea that, uh, you know, you need to you need to not stick out. You need to just assimilate and follow the status quo, stay under the radar and, you know, if someone makes fun of you, just let it go and move on and you'll be successful because of that. And, and the worst part about that whole thing is that they've internalized that because of what uh, uh, Americans have done to them to make them do that. And it's, it's an interesting defense mechanism in a sense, or when you look at it on almost on an evolutionary scale to say, okay, let's just fit in. That's going to help our culture. That's going to help our people survive. That's going to help our kids survive. And so you kind of get that sense here in this movie that uh, they, they they don't really want that. They, they just want to have fun. They want to live their own life, but they have these terrible legacies lifted and put on top of them, specifically Shang-Chi. But Katie, you see it as well, Aquafina's character, with her, her mom always badgering her about, why are you working at this place? Like, why can't you do something more with your life? And it's just, it's it's sad, but at the same time, it's this perfect driver for the movie because once they start getting into their adventures, you see them kind of growing in that regard and finding out who they really are. They aren't just what their parents have taught them to be. They aren't just what they've grown up to be and what all of the, the words and things that people have told them over the years, that's not who they are. They're more than that. And that's a huge message that you see through this film, especially by the end of it, when they kind of reclaim their and have that conversation again uh, with their two friends when they're explaining, you know, oh, we did this, that, and the other, we saved the world, and their friends don't believe them, but it's like, okay, you know, that's that's what you get, right? That's that's how classic is that? You have people who tell you you need to buck up, you need to you need to sit up, fly right, and uh, not ask any questions, and then when someone does that. They go, well, what? No, I don't believe you. I don't think you did that. And it's like, okay, well, what kind of a box are you putting people in at that point? But it was great. The The bits in it were actually really funny. There's a spot where uh, Katie asks her friend, says, you know, what do you look like? The things you're saying, you sound like my mom. And you look like her a little bit too. Where'd you get those clothes? Talbot's? I cracked up at that line just because my mom used to shop at Talbot's. Uh, but then we find out that uh, Sean at this point has a mysterious postcard that has the same drawing of a dragon on it that his mom was making as an origami. And he it doesn't have any writing on it, but it only shows an address in Macau, China. And at this point, they uh, it's still the normal day. They are on the bus. They're going to, to work. And some mysterious strangers attack them on the bus. This fight scene is so good. Despite it being in the trailers, it still knocked my socks off both times. And that's a mixture of the amazing fighting and the awesome soundtrack, but also the great chemistry between Simu and Aquafina. Uh, again, something I wasn't expecting or even really wanting initially that now I kind of am, am really happy with. So, you know, she say, the bus driver ends up getting knocked out at one point. I actually laughed really hard because the bus driver is driving 
and so he like bumps into something or notices what's going on and he he like rips off his he's got iphone ipod headphones in like the the ones with a string and he ripped them out the same way that i've noticed i'll do that sometimes and i'm like wait a minute what's going on i don't i don't have the string ones anymore but i just laughed really hard at that scene because uh you know when people aren't paying attention and then something crazy happens and they have to pay attention uh it was just really funny but he ends up getting knocked out and Katie takes over as the driver, and I love this. We've already established through some of the valet work that she is a really good driver, and uh, that's I thought was just so cool. She calls herself the Asian Jeff Gordon, and uh, I loved that. And she even I, Jeff Gordon was my favorite race car driver, so that was a cool line. But her along with uh, Shung just absolutely kicking ass in this fight. I mean, he is jumping over seats, he's flying in the air, he's double kicking people, he's running outside of the bus, he's sliding, he's slipping, he's doing everything that needs to be done to knock every single one of these dudes out. But the problem is they're not after him; they're after the pendant that he's wearing, which is uh, what his mother gave him and his sister uh, to help quote unquote find their way home unfortunately he beats them all but uh loses the pendant and so now he realizes okay i have to go to macau to help my sister we get a really good conversation between him and katie around who he is and i really liked this conversation she asked, she says who are you because she's known him for 10 years and never knew that he was a fighter never knew what his real name was and here he is revealing all of this stuff and this was a bit that i really loved in this film because in any other movie this is the moment where the friends break up and it doesn't matter whether they were romantically involved you know they go whoa dude like i don't even know you anymore and then they leave no she accepts him and she says you know what you can explain it to me on the plane and I just loved that, even though during this moment, when he reveals that his name actually isn't Sean, when he reveals that he actually killed the guy, every single time Katie says, like, it's okay, basically. She's like, I'm here for you. And I just, to me, that is more powerful than a kiss. That is more powerful than the, oh, walking away because lying is bad. Uh, obviously it is, but w when you're in a situation like uh, Shang-Chi is, like I, you, when you finally meet his dad, like, oh, okay, I can get why I would want to change my name and run away. So it just was so cool to see her being so mature about it. And uh, there's a funny bit on the plane too with the food that I, I thought was pretty pretty cool. But essentially, on the plane, he provides a backstory to Katie around his past, and we get some more flashbacks. But when they arrive in Macau, they get to this location, which we see in the trailers. It's a giant fight club, basically, and. Uh, they get there, he has to sign this document while he's going up on the elevator and ends up signing himself into a fight. And so during this, we do see the Abomination and Wong fighting just like you saw in the trailers, so absolutely no surprise there. Uh, but what I was, and I didn't see any clips on it, I heard that there were, uh, Wong uses the sling ring to knock Abomination's punch through and back to him. So Abomination actually knocks his cell himself out, uh, which was awesome. And then Wong, we find out that Wong and Abomination were a team anyway. He was telling him like, hey, you know, we need to practice your fighting a little more. And they, they go back through the same portal together, which I wanted to know more about. And we don't find anything about, which makes me really happy. I'm really excited to see where that all goes. Wong was one of those characters where I loved Benedict Wong 
in the IT crowd. That's where I first saw him. And when I saw him as Wong in Doctor Strange, like I thought he was fine. I did not like him. But over time, I have grown to like Wong more and more. And I think this is like the apex of that right now. Obviously, it'll it'll be even higher later. But he just did such a good job in this movie. And the Abomination looks great. I'm seeing Tim Roth, I think, was even in it. But Wong says Emil. He calls him Emil, which was cool to see Emil Blonsky. Obviously, Shang-Chi does not fight either of them, uh, but he gets into the ring and he's told to take his shirt off. And uh, he like he, he's like, okay. And I love the I loved this. Katie looks up at him from below and is basically like, uh, what? He is hot. And then he looks down at her and she just says, where's your shirt? And I, I loved the delivery of it. It was perfect. He says, I have no idea. But we find out he's fighting the best fighter in the bit in the fight club, which just so happens to be his sister. This scene played so well for me because I didn't know that he had a sister. And that's that's a brand new thing. I don't think that's comics-based. It, it maybe isn't a little bit. Obviously, we talked about that in the Shang-Chi episode we had a couple a week or so ago. Uh, but it wasn't this character. It's not Jai Ling. So seeing them fight, this scene immediately establishes what a badass she is. She knocks him on his butt multiple times. They tussle. They fight. He keeps trying to say, I don't want to fight her. So there's a good argument there that could be made that Shang-Chi could beat her and that he was just choosing to hold back his punches. But I love that. That she beats him because I think that establishes her as a really powerful character. And not only does she kick ass, but she has style. This outfit that she is in during the fight is just absolutely gorgeous. The black with the little bit of gold trim. She's got the hood and she's got a cape. She is a superhero in so many different ways just the minute that you see her. And it's funny, I'm only thinking of it right now, but I almost wonder if when Dolly Parton was creating her famous song that someone misinterpreted what she was saying and put Jolene on accident instead of Jailene. I'm not sure. All I know is Dolly, you're gonna, you got some explaining to do because I, I think it is Jailene. She's gorgeous. I, I think anyone, she could, t- she could have any man or woman that she wants. So uh, just putting that out there. Uh, unfortunately, Jailene, I'm not available. I'm happily married, but uh, I'd be glad to be your friend. I would love to. We could. I could I'd love to pick your brain. Uh, on fighting techniques i would love to learn how to spin that thing around i love spinning stuff i I think i'm decent at it i used to play with a yo-yo so uh, i I could do a pretty good around the world and i bet you you could too so this is my invitation to you uh come on over shoot me an im or uh just message me on in the comments i'd be glad happy to hear from you or dolly parton too from there we get this great fight the fight ends and we move on to the kind of the the gist of the matter, the meat of the the meal, which is he uh, Shang Chi explains here. Here's this postcard I received. She says I didn't send it, and so we kind of find out. Okay, I think her father, his father, their father sent it, and it's too late though to talk any further. Uh, we also get the great reveal there that you know she built this empire on her own. And we find out a little bit later, too, when they finally get to Macau, or or no, when they finally get to their father's place, uh, she says, if my father wouldn't let me be a part of what he was building, basically, I would just build my own thing. And Katie's like, hell yeah. I loved that. Just the perfect response. But uh, the Ten Rings infiltrate the place. There's a bunch of really good fights. They escape, and uh, they're out on the scaffolding of the side, which you also see a little bit in the trailers. 
and the fighting on this scaffolding is just insane this honestly this is probably some of the best fighting in the mcu not the specific scene just the movie in general uh, the only things i feel like could come even close to this is like falcon and the winter soldier or maybe like uh winter uh, the captain america the winter soldier uh just that hand-to-hand combat it's it felt very anime it felt very bruce lee jackie chanish i know it's probably not a good idea to put them in a box like that but just to say uh the fight choreography and all of that everyone understood what was needed and it was something just absolutely out of this world there's even a really good bit here where katie uh is about to fall she's hanging on a bamboo shoot and uh you know shung's like okay i'm coming and i love i love that anytime she was in trouble he immediately like puffs his chest in a way and he's like "Uh uh-uh i'm gonna go save her and he he does for a minute but then he gets electrocuted and she falls Ling shows up and saves her catches her with her freaking legs let's go and i just love that again another reason we see this this beautiful shadowed hooded figure running around on the scaffolding absolutely kicking ass and shung says to her I, you know you left us here to die and she says now you know how i felt because you freaking abandoned me for six or ten years however long it was when i would that was actually i missed that part that was really sad when she says he said that he would be back in three days and after three three days turned into weeks turned into months turned into years and she says i finally six years was when i realized i didn't need you anymore wow what a gut punch and so we see that she's she just like uh shang is is a completely changed character in a sense since they were kids they've they've both been hardened in a sense she obviously has been hardened more she's had to fight more for what she wanted whereas shang kind of took the lazy route and uh it kind of went that way obviously he's he's coming back from that but uh from there he fights the death dealer who ends up taking Ling's uh pendant and that fight was sick him versus death dealer was so good uh, a really good revenge from when he was younger but that's kind of the last we see of the death dealer until the death dealer dies at the end by one of the soul suckers so that was one character i wanted to see a little bit more of just because he he was so cool i, I know it was played by a guy could have been a woman in in canon i don't know i don't i honestly don't care i'm fine either way but i wanted to see a little bit more uh, but we got what we got, so I can't really complain. Before he can kill the Death Dealer, his father shows up, stops the fight, and says, it's so good for you to be home. Uh, finally coming home. The prodigal son returns, I guess you could say. Just wild. He immediately goes over to him and just, you know, they, they put their heads on each other. And you just look and see in Shang chis face, like, the mixture of emotions that he has and and simu being able to convey all of that while he's like his father's just so happy to see him and it's like uh i haven't seen you in like 10 years and i purposely avoided you and so they get back to the compound and they're eating dinner together uh the four of them katie is included in this i liked that a lot and he's at he asked katie what her chinese name is and i don't remember what she says i think there's like renway or something like that and he says names are really important he explains that, uh, you know, in America, a terrorist uh, appropriated my name uh, and called himself and, and used a puppet that was called the Mandarin. And he was like, you know, he named it after an orange. And I thought that was really funny because, uh, you know, everything was so sinister in Iron Man 3 and in the Iron Man movies of these ten rings in a sense and the Mandarin. 
and I love that he's like, that wasn't even my name. And he says, you know, I went by other names like the, he kind of sounded a little bit like uh, Kang when he's like, I, I, I was called a conqueror, uh, Master Khan, I think he says, something else, uh, the, the man who lives forever. I, it, a lot of names. He's basically bragging at this point. But he says, my name is Wen Wu. So I think that's the first time we actually hear that his name is Wen Wu. Uh, I might be wrong. But they enjoy their dinner, I guess you could say. And he explains afterwards, he says, I'm kind of like, I brought you all here together. And this is the, you could say where where the twist is coming, but for anyone who's seen Spider-Man Far From Home, you know when someone's a villain, they're gonna be a villain. And I hope that I'm proven wrong on that someday, but this movie was not that movie. He says, the only reason I asked you all here is because I've found your mother and we are going to search for her. She's in Talao. And she is being held against her will, sort of behind this gate, uh, and it's like a, it's like a giant tomb in the side of a mountain. Basically, he says, "I've been hearing her talk, and I can hear her her words, her breath on my cheek." And you you sort of believe him, but you're like, "What? No, uh, mom's dead." And he explains, "Well, but then you know, how do you explain this?" And he puts both of those jade pendants into the these dragon eyes that's from the trailer where all of the water blows out of the wall and creates this map on the ground and he says there's only one way into talo and it's only available like once a year or something like that and now i know how to get there so he says you know his army shows up and he says in three days we're gonna go there and get my wife back get get their mother back and uh, Shang-Chi is like, uh, no, this is crazy. What are you even talking about? Like, he's basically saying, you know, their people are holding her against their will. It's like, what are you? You're crazy, man. You're delusional. You are Doctor Strange at the point where they're trying to explain to him that you can't bring her back. You just can't. She is gone, and she's gone because of you. And he refuses to see that. He's delusional at this point, which was awesome. Uh, Tony Lung plays that so perfectly. And uh, because they dissent, he throws them in prison, basically, in the bowels of the compound. And when they're down there, they meet Trevor Slattery. And he, just his intro was so great. Like I said, everything he said was really funny. I don't remember every single thing, but he basically explains that he got abducted from the prison, just like in the short All Hail the King. And from there, as he's about to get killed, he says he puts on a performance of Macbeth and they decide to keep him. And I loved Katie. She says, so you're basically a jester. And yeah, he kind of is, but he's got a little friend in there named Morris, who is this no-headed four-winged chicken pig is what Katie calls it and he's cute for sure but he speaks to Trevor which is pretty cool and so that's that's how Trevor gets to be in the movie I loved that I loved that it was not shoehorned in it's it so easily could have been and it, it tears on it but it works so well with him basically carrying the squishmallow with him this plush creature that is says i can take you into talo i can take you a secret way because i i know i live there and i'd like to go back and so trevor and morris are like good guys and so now they're a team of four and they have to escape which they do they take razor fist's car which was actually a really cool car but they escape and i loved this bit too his father is so delusional and so obsessed with all of this that when he sees them escape he says don't worry about them they will come back once I have saved their mother. 
I just, I'm like, dude, you have no idea what they are about to do. You have no idea where they're going. And so they end up getting into Talo. That whole bit was hilarious in the best way. You know, they're driving through this forest as the, the trees are closing in on them. And Trevor's saying, you know, oh, take a left here, take a right here. And they're like, oh, my God, these trees, they've got to be like five meters away. Katie's like, how much is that in feet? And uh, uh, Shang-Chi says, really freaking close. Uh, just co- so cool. And then they get through it. He says, you know, stay in the pocket. And I loved that. He's like, there's this pocket you've got to stay in. And so they get to the very end of it and they get into Talo and it's just absolutely beautiful. They drive through this water cave and take a portal and we just get all these beautiful creatures. Uh, and again, even in these scenes too, Katie's the one who's driving. So I just, I love that they've established her as a really good driver and eventually, you know, a really good marksman, but the animals were amazing. We saw, you get to see a ton of different Pokemon as they might look, uh, in a Pokemon world. We see some Moltres flying up in the sky. We see some nine tails on some rocks though in Chinese culture though, this, these are actually nine tailed foxes, which is just so cool to see if you're a fan of naruto or lovecraft country or pokemon uh we get to see some weird horses and we get to have uh morris reunite with the rest of his family and when they arrive they end up meeting the people of talo including shang chi and Ling's aunt uh ying nan who is played again by michelle yo uh just perfectly absolutely great she's happy to see them uh they say they explain what's happening they explain their father's coming and they say okay it's time to get prepped we've got to get ready to go and so they start training and i loved this whole sequence um non says okay you know your mother wanted to leave you with a few things and so they both get brand new costumes shang chi gets his red costume and Ling gets a beautiful silver costume and they explain that part of the power of the of Talo comes from the Great Protector. And because the Great Protector is a dragon, all of their armor and weapons is forged from dragon scales. I'm wondering, are dragon scales stronger than vibranium? I would love to see that put to the test. Honestly, I would love to see a fight between Xiling and Black Panther. Uh, actually, no, I would want Xiling versus Shuri first. I think Shang-Chi... Oh, I would definitely want to see a Shang-Chi versus Black Panther fight. I think that would be sick. But I wouldn't put it past Jai Ling to be able to also beat Black Panther. I, I'm, I'm holding out on that. I would definitely make that bet. Uh, but so they both do training. Katie also begins training. She starts training as an archer. Jai uh, Ling trains with her new dragon-infused extendable rope uh, arrow dart. I wish I knew what the word was for those things, but they are so cool. And then Shang-Chi trains with his aunt on his mother's techniques of utilizing the wind utilizing the the just the the air i guess you could say and the elements and he says something like you know she was the only person that could beat my father show me how she did it i just loved that and she kept questioning him while they fight too like who are you 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 are a product of everything and i loved this it this this I know is going to hit for so many people in the audience especially so many people from asian cultures but even for me, this hit when she's saying every single thing that everyone has done 
has le- basically has led you to this point like the good the bad the legacy that your father and your father's father and all you know all of that comes together to create you you are the product of all of those choices and i just that's something that i think so many people don't grasp enough in their life it, it's a very powerful thing to grasp but honestly it, it can be stressful too to think that you have that much weight on your shoulders but just to have that that meditative knowledge of like where you come from and all of the work that so many generations i mean just hopefully you're sitting down while you're listening to this whether you're walking or whatever it is that you're doing just you know stop and think for a second like what what did your grandfather 16 grandfathers above you or grandmother what were the choices that they made in their life that lead all the way down to you there's little things they do good and bad all throughout history that has put you right now listening to comics and cinema to me that is just is so cool to think about and hopefully something you take a little bit of time to think about uh, even just to center yourself i think i think reflecting on something like that is a really good activity to just bringing you back to i don't know what it means to be alive i guess uh, it's just wild and and you're getting that in this movie in this marvel movie just amazing so at this point uh shang chi as the battle is about to kind of start he meets with katie and tells her the truth says i you know i killed that guy and that's why i changed my name and fled like i wanted to start a new life and he says but now now i know what i need to do and i, I need to kill my father and she doesn't really tell him no but i, I liked that she basically just listens she isn't trying to you know, give him any suggestions or, or tell him, oh, you should just do this. She just says, you know, you, do you not realize how crazy it is that you were trained to be an assassin at seven years old and you were sent out on a hit at 14? I mean, honestly, if anyone has anything in common with, with Shang-Chi, it's Natasha Romanoff. Like, he basically was put through that same type of uh, situation. I don't, I don't think it was a, uh, well, I, I, I wouldn't compare them in that regard, but just the fact that they were both child soldiers in a sense child assassins just crazy but she she's good with him she you know she says like i get it i this is just a lot of stress on you right now and i'm here for you so the next day uh father shows up and the fight begins and he's you know delusional as ever why are you guys you know why are you guys trying to stop uh me from getting your mother and it's like you know oh she does she's dead she's gone and they explain that um non explains there is a creature and creatures beyond this tomb in the mountain, which uh, also, as we get to it, has some pretty big Hobbit vibes. You got a you got a lonely mountain in the corner uh, across the way of a water system of a giant lake, and you also have Katie shooting a black arrow or a dragon arrow into a giant creature in the sky. Sounds a lot like the Hobbit. Uh, in a good way, though, I was—I definitely didn't take that as, as a, a kind of a, a bad thing for them. But they're getting there. They fight. They say these soul suckers that live beyond in this tomb—they have been protecting the world from them. We actually get a really cool backstory on Talo, and I didn't—I didn't mention this earlier. We'll talk about it a little bit later around Iron Fist. But there's some really big Iron Fist vibes in this movie. And <clears throat> the history of Talo kind of uh, hints at it because they said that they have these vast cities all over the world. 
and uh, you know these creatures destroyed a lot of them until the great protector showed up, this giant dragon, and fought them back, put them into this tomb, and kind of sealed them in. And so they've been protecting it ever since. And this, the thing in the tomb has called out to people over the years, and no one's been able to open it. But they're calling out to Wen Wu because he has the ten rings, and they're saying that. You know, oh, we're pretending to be your wife so that he can break down. They know his rings are strong enough to bust through this tomb. And they're right. So they get this big fight. The big fight ensues. We get some great action sequences with Xia Ling, with Shang-Chi. Uh, Katie even gets a couple moments to shine as well. Well, in this beginning, they don't let Katie fight because she's not trained enough, which kind of comes back to the later part where she ends up actually saving the day. But there's a bit where Shang starts fighting his father. And he says, I'm not afraid of you. And his father says, yes, you are. And I just, I, it was powerful. But this was him confronting everything. This is him confront, confronting his past, confronting his future, confronting all of it through his father. And he has a really great fight. But of course, his father's got the rings, so he's more powerful, knocks him into the water. And then his father uses the rings to launch himself up and he starts bashing into the tomb to open it up. So these creatures are starting to come through. And I loved this too. Xi uh, Ling, of course it would be Xi Ling, she says, we need to work together. And very quickly, uh, Death Eater is, is killed by one of them. And uh, Razor Fist is like, I think we should work together. And boom, immediately both sides have put their differences aside and they're all fighting a common enemy. It was easy and I liked that. Um, but as they're going... Shang-Chi is down in the water and you you don't you know, there's no thought of like oh he's about to die because we see this in the trailers but he starts getting some air bubbles given into him so he actually can breathe and we see the dragon now with him and the dragon brings him up and he kind of is is uh claiming his power in a sense and so he busts out of the water with this dragon they're fighting a bunch of these creatures flying in the sky and then the dragon drops him off at his dad's spot right at the tomb and they fight. They have an amazing fight. One of the best fights in the movie. And as they're fighting, Shang-Chi starts getting the rings himself, utilizing his mother's fighting technique. And by the end of it, he has all ten rings. And he puts all ten rings into a circle. And he, I almost was waiting for him to go, Kame! Kame! But he doesn't. Instead, he decides to just toss the rings aside and we don't get that Dragon Ball Z moment, even though Katie calls it out towards the end. And we, we sort of get it in a couple pieces. We get it when he fights later. But he says, I, you know, like I, I'm not dealing with this. This is not what this is about. This is between you and me. But before they can reconcile, the giant soul eater busts out of this tomb and captures his father and sucks the life out of his father. And I loved this because his father uses the rings to save his son. And then as his final act is giving, willingly giving the rings, you get a shot of his fists and he opens his fists and the rings fly off and onto Shung and just sad. And, I, you know, as I'm looking and watching in both times, I'm trying to see if his father even gives the slightest smile as he's dying. And he doesn't at all. And I'm just like, wow, this guy was... He was bitter to the very end, and I'm sure he knows now, as he's going, that his son has surpassed him, but it just, it was sad, it definitely sad, and from there, his sister is now on top of the dragon, she ends up saving it, surprise, surprise, I'm not surprised at all, uh, Xi Ling is amazing, so they pick up Shung, and they 
then battle the giant creature. And I, this bit was great. I thought the visuals here were just transcendent, uh, incredible. I don't. There's so many different words for it. On IMAX, it just looked absolutely gorgeous. And by the end of it, he defeats this creature by throwing all of the Ten Rings into the creature uh, and creating this giant explosion. And I loved this. This reminded me a lot of Naruto. Uh, again, so many different anime influences here. He's so high up in the air as he's flying towards the water and he's making all these motions with his hand. And the one, the one downside to podcasting, you can't see me making these hands motions, but it felt a lot like Naruto. I was waiting for him to start doing a bunch of hand signs as he goes, but then he goes, ha, and then the dragon just explodes, the creature explodes. Amazing. Just incredible. And so they, they win. They save the day, and the movie ends with them pushing out some uh, paper lanterns in memory of all of the fallen. And then we get the sort of explanation of them with their friends when they're back having drinks, and their friends, you know, rightfully so, don't believe them until Wong opens up a portal and says, Where's Shang-Chi? And he's like, I'm here, present. And he says, do you have the rings? And he says, yes, all right, then come with me, you too. And he points at Katie, and I was like, yes, I love that they're including Katie. So cool. <clears throat> they then ta- they go in there, and the movie ends. And so that's the credits. And so before we get to the other spots, the other two spots, actually, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on it in the final spot. So uh, the mid-credits scene is so good, so good. Uh, we see them in the sanctum and uh captain marvel and bruce banner are there talking with them they're trying to analyze these rings to find out where they come from and i loved this when i was watching it when the movie ended i was like so we're not really going to find out what's up with these rings huh and then this was the credit scene i was like oh awesome so we are going to find out we're just not going to find out right now and i did i did see an article that there were multiple uh, sources for these rings that were discussed, but they decided to just not do it at all and let someone else do it, which is fine. Uh, But I I thought it was interesting that it was discussed. My thought is that these rings have something to do with the Eternals. That's going to be my call on this. That was the first thing I thought of. They said they've sent out a beacon, and that's what we see uh, in it. But Captain Marvel and Bruce have no idea. They, they don't know anything about it. And what's interesting in here, too, is that Bruce Banner is a human. It's not Hulk. It's not Smart Hulk. So what happened in between that time? I have no idea. Does it have something to do with She-Hulk? Uh, is it something completely different? Did the, did the movie makers just mess up? I don't think that's the answer. Uh, so very curious to see where all of that goes once they leave uh wong tells them like get some rest your lives are about to change forever like you're avengers now basically and uh they're like yeah you know we should get some rest or and they all all three of them go sing karaoke uh they sing uh, hotel california which was a play from the rest of the movie and just perfect and then the post credit scene shows uh the one and only jai ling uh back at the compound and she has taken over the Ten Rings. She is now their boss, and she just struts onto the scene, sits down in her father's chair the exact same way her father did, and says, all right, let's get to work. Uh, we have a lot of things to do. And then a great song starts that says, out with the old, in with the new, as a bunch of women and men are training in the compound that is now covered in graffiti. What does this mean? It says the Ten Rings will return. Well, my thoughts on this 
lead back to Iron Fist. I think when you've got all these different cities, you've got Talo, you've got uh, Kamertage, you have the Ten Rings in their compound, you have Kun Lun from Iron Fist. There's a storyline in the Iron Fist comics about the heavenly cities. And it's like something about, you know, oh, whenever the stars align every 500 years or whatever it ends up being is uh, there's a fight. There's a basically like Mortal Kombat and a champion from each of these places comes to fight. I could totally see that being a storyline in the future where Iron Fist, Shang-Chi, Jai Ling, some other great fighters, someone from some fighter from Kamertage, whatever it ends up being has some giant fight. That would just be so awesome. I would love to see Iron Fist in a future film. Uh, again, I think there was a lot about, you got the dragons in the movie as well, which I think leans into that too. It's just a lot of precedents are being set in this movie for future Marvel things. But at the same time, this movie did such a good job of standing on its own. Uh, there's very little mentions about the MCU in the main film, and I loved that. I thought that was fantastic. It it really does. It stands on its own. It's a, it's a great film. Like I said, I loved the fights. I loved the cinematography. I There really isn't anything I don't like about it besides some of those very small nitpicks, so I still have to reflect on what I would give this movie for a rating, but I'm to the point now where I feel bad giving these movies ratings because I end up adjusting them one way or the other. It's definitely an 8. My question is whether it's a 9. Uh, but it's probably one of my more favorite MCU films. Definitely one of my favorite MCU origin films, that's for sure. But like I said, I don't I don't think these movies, especially when you've just recently watched them, should be ranked within all your films just because of uh, recency bias and all of that sort of stuff. So a last thing I'll discuss on this is, is the box office because as we talked about in some prior episodes... There was a mention by a certain CEO that said this movie would be an interesting experiment because it's only being released in theaters. It's not being released on Disney Plus, which is honestly a bummer. I would have paid the $30 on Disney Plus just so I could watch it again today and tomorrow and every day this on this very long weekend. But at the same time, I get it. I get that they're wanting to get people back into theaters. I just hope people take the bait. I hope the word of mouth of this movie is strong. Uh, as of this recording... The Thursday night previews were 8.8 .8 million, which Simu even said was very auspicious, but I don't know what the weekend's going to look like. I hope, like I said, I hope a bunch of people talk about it. I hope everyone goes to see it every day on this long memorial weekend, and it's a success. Uh, if you're asking me for a prediction, my bet when I was uh, doing a poll on Twitter was uh, probably around 50 million, which again, I don't know if that's good or bad. I just want this to be a success because it deserves to be a success. When I went into the theater and saw Crazy Rich Asians, there was a there was a feeling I could just feel in the theater of, you know, like there's me on the screen for so many uh, different Asian cultures. And I got that same vibe from this movie of like, look at this. I don't, I couldn't even, like the only non-Asian in this film is, uh, is Razor Fist, I think, if I remember. That and Trevor Slattery, but they're, you know, that's fine. It's not, it's so cool to see so much representation on screen. I loved it. Like I said, it made it feel like such a fresh film, even though this is like the 25th movie in the MCU. I'm jazzed. I am ready to go. Give me a hundred more movies. As we said at the beginning of this episode, the more diversity that you have, the more things will stay fresh and exciting going forward. So uh, wrapping this up, 
go check out this movie, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Phenomenal, even though we don't really know what the Legend of the Ten Rings is yet, but the good news is we're going to, and we are going to have a good time along the way. So, for all of us here at Comics and Cinema, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and we will see you at the movies. Thank you.